So we are continuing the series that we've been working our way through the book of Romans throughout this entire summer. And as we're doing that, we are, um, we are in the last section of the letter. We're starting the last section today. So it's like I said, we've been going through chapter by chapter. We started it at the beginning of the summer. Um, if you've missed any of them or want to go back uh, and hear them again, um, they're all available online. and You're able to listen to them in podcast or video and to go back and, and see as we've studied through this letter. And as we've gone through chapter by chapter, yeah, we see the Apostle Paul wrote this and many other New Testament books, but this was written as a letter to the church in Rome, and, and he, he addressed lots of different issues. And, and we've seen it as we work through all the different things that we've done, but as we look at the structure of the letter through the first eight chapters, is he, he really breaks down the gospel message and how are we saved and what, is all of, what does all that mean? Why did Jesus come? And, and, and all of that, we've, as we work through the way of salvation and we see all of that culminates in Romans chapter 8. And then um, after, after chapter 8, we've seen now this last three-chapter section in chapters 9, 10, and 11, okay, where Paul kind of wraps it all up. Okay, he, he, um, yeah, and this, this, it, those three chapters are its own little subsection of the letter where Paul gets very personal and very practical as he reiterates and completes his teaching on the way of salvation. And like I said, last week in chapter 11, we wrapped that up, and now today we turn a corner into the last section of the letter from chapters 12 all the way to the, the last chapter 16. Okay, so as we start this final section of the letter, okay, this section now focuses on what your life will look like after you have been saved. Like I said, the first part all the way to 8, and then he reiterates it in 9 through 11, is, is about the way of salvation. And now he says, practically speaking, for these last five chapters, he will describe what your earthly journey will look like day to day as a follower of Jesus. From when you join the journey of faith and you, you receive Christ as your Savior, and all the way until your earthly journey ends when you are face-to-face -face with God in heaven, right? And from when you're saved to when you're face-to-face -face with God in heaven, we are on this faith journey, and, and we are living in the Christian life. And again, what is that supposed to look like? And that's what he addresses in this final uh, section of the letter. Now, as we open up God's Word today to Romans chapter 12, again, I just have to tell you that this is one of my favorite passages in the entire Bible. Okay, and so I guess be ready because I'm excited about this, this passage. Okay, it's one of my favorite passages. Okay, but as we do, we're going to open up to Romans chapter 12. So if you have your Bible with you, um, I invite you to open with me to Romans chapter 12. If you don't have your own Bible or don't have it with you today, there are Bibles available for you in the seats that you're welcome to use. Okay, you'll notice on the outline is the page numbers where you can find this passage in those Bibles. Okay, but as we open up God's Word this morning to Romans chapter 12, we're going to start with verses 1 through 3. Okay, and um, again, this is the transition out of from one section to the next section of the letter. Okay, and we see, um, then he moves on to the next point, and which is in 12, Romans chapter 12, beginning and verse 1, where he says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. 
Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourself by the faith God has given us. Okay, so we're going to pause after these first three verses because these verses give us the big picture foundation of what our lives as a follower of Jesus should look like day to day. Okay, and as we start with these first three verses, he, again, sets the foundation for the rest of the book, for all of the following chapters all the way to the end. And so as we do that, again, we're going to look at what is the foundation? What is he teaching us here of what our life is going to look like after we have received Christ as our Savior? Okay, now in, in, this, in these three verses, he answers a big, major question that we should have as a follower of Jesus, right, with each verse. Okay, the, in the first verse, in verse 1, he answers the question of how do I truly worship God? Okay, and again, worship is one of these words that we throw around a lot and we use it a lot, especially within the church, and yet we never really define it. And especially if you're new to the things of Christ or don't know the Bible well or new to church culture, you, you, you find out quickly that we use lots of words that we never explain what they mean. Hey, worship is one of those words, and we use it in a lot of different ways. Okay, and here, Paul um, defines worship for us. Again, his, his just grassroots, simple, most basic definition of worship okay, is that he gives us in Romans 12, 1. Okay, and the definition he gives us is to the worship, at the, the most foundation of worship is loving God back. Okay, the worshiping God is loving him back. Okay, again, we see that and because as he says, he tells us in the verse, he says, give your bodies to God. Okay, meaning because, uh, right, is to give yourself to him, right? This love him back. He loves you more than you can imagine or, or explain. Okay, in fact, he's been telling us that for 11 chapters, right? Over and over and over again in the book of Romans, he's been explaining how much God loves us. And that was his motivation for sending Jesus and for the way of salvation and all those things. And now he's saying, now you get that. You are saved. You understand that God loves you that much. And now our response to him is to love him back. And that is how we worship. Right? And so, again, I love him back because he tells us, he says, give your bodies to God. Why do we give our bodies to God? Because of all he has done for you. Right? That's exactly what he says in the verse. He says, give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Again, because what has he done for us? He loves us more than we can imagine. So what do we do? We give ourselves back to him. We love him back. That is how we truly worship him. But now again, that's a very broad definition. You're probably sitting there. If you don't know, you're like, I don't understand worship any better now than I did five minutes ago. Right? No. And Paul makes this, this broad definition of worship, and then he goes deeper, though, into what exactly what he means. What does that look like in this verse? Okay, and so he tells us then that there are a few different ways that we love God back, and what does that practically look like? The first thing, as we give our bodies to God, he tells us to make our life a holy sacrifice. Okay, to the, my life now, and how do I worship God? How do I love him back? My life becomes a holy sacrifice. Okay, I, I, again, a holy sacrifice, what does that mean? I mean, when you think about holy, again, he spent all of these chapters up to this telling us that we're all sinners, right? And that if we're all sinners, we're not holy, right? That the opposite of holy is sinful. 
But yet through, again, he's explained all of this through these chapters, right? Through, through Jesus, we become holy because of Jesus. Because he died on a cross and rose again and shed his blood, we are washed clean and forgiven. We are now made holy because of Christ. Right? And so now we can move forward because we are saved. Right now we have been made holy because of his blood. Now he says we continue to be a holy sacrifice, which means that this is not possible if we are not saved. There's no way you can be holy if you have not been saved by the blood of Jesus. Right again, remember though, this is the corner he's turning. He's saying he's already explained how we become a follower of Jesus. Now he's saying this is where we go from, from salvation on. Right, is you are holy sacrifice. Only because of Christ is the only way that that is even possible in our life. And therefore, Christ then becomes our example of what holy looks like. How do we even know what holy is? Well, we look at Jesus. Because Jesus is the only human to ever live on this earth that doesn't fit in the all description of sinners that he gave us earlier in the letter. Right, where he says, all have sinned. Right, the only human being not included in that all is Jesus Christ himself. Right, and so he then becomes our example of what a holy life looks like. And again, as, we, as a church, as we are on this faith journey, and our number one core value of our church is that Jesus Christ is the destination of our journey. And that's exactly what that core value means. Is that he is our example to follow. He shows us what holy is, right? And, and that is where we are journeying towards, to be more like Christ tomorrow than we are today. Because if I'm more like Christ tomorrow, when I take that next step in my faith and come closer to him, then I am more holy tomorrow than I am today. Right? He becomes our example to follow. In fact, in, in one of Paul's other letters, in the letter to the Ephesians, okay, in chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, Paul tells us to imitate God, therefore, in everything that you do, because you are his dear children. Again, love God back, because he's your father. He says, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. Right? He becomes our example to follow. Right? He is the definition of what a holy human life looks like. Right? And so we see this first definition of how do I truly worship God? How do I live that out? Well, I am holier tomorrow than I am today. I continue to move forward in my faith, right? And take that step closer to Christ tomorrow than I am today. Become more holy the more that I worship. And then we see the second part of this description of the sacrifice that our life becomes. And that is not only is there a holy sacrifice, but we also become a living sacrifice. Now, a living sacrifice, when we think about this phrase, okay, is this phrase is confusing because this phrase is an oxymoron. Okay, now, an oxymoron is a phrase or a word or phrase that is contradicting itself. Again, by definition, a sacrifice is killed. Okay, if it's not killed, it's not a sacrifice. Okay, and sacrifice is killed. So how, but he says to be a living sacrifice. That is an oxymoron. A sacrifice can't be living. Or if it's living, it's not sacrifice. Okay, this example of oxymoron, again, we see it in our culture all the time. Okay, look at, um, this is an example of what an oxymoron. A jumbo shrimp. 
Okay, a shrimp is small by definition. How is it jumbo and also a shrimp? It, they, they contradict each other. Okay, you think this, uh, here's another phrase that we use, is I'm busy doing nothing. That's an oxymoron, right? If you're doing nothing, you're not busy. If you're busy, you're not doing nothing. Okay, they, they cannot coexist. Okay, but yet it seems it still makes sense. Right, we see again these, these pop up all the time in our culture, especially if you're driving up to this sign. Right, which one do you do? Do you stop or do you keep moving? You can't do them both. Right, as we see, again, this, this one's always interesting. Nothing's written in stone. Notice it's written in stone. Right, the, the last one I think we come across is, I don't know how fun this water park would be. It's dry. How can a water park be dry? Right, it's an oxymoron. Okay, it's contradictory in terms and yet remains to be true. And how can a sacrifice be living? Right, he tells us to be a living sacrifice for God. That's how we truly worship him. How do I do that? That doesn't even make sense, Paul. But yet, Paul, once as we've seen over and over again in the book of Romans, Paul is not creating these things from out of the air. He, uh, most of what he does in Romans is reiterates other parts of scripture and other teachings. And that's exactly what he's doing here. Okay, is he's, he's telling us, once again, to do exactly what Jesus taught his disciples to do. Okay, in, in Matthew chapter 16, Okay, verses 24 through 25, Jesus is speaking to his disciples when he says, when Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Notice this concept that Jesus is teaching his disciples and therefore expecting them to live out and us to live out is an oxymoron. If I give up my life, how do I save it? If I die to myself, how do I find real life? It doesn't make sense, Jesus. Right? Especially as the original audience, the disciples in their culture, every one of them knew what taking up your cross meant. Because taking up your cross was a capital punishment. It meant death. Right? And yet Jesus is telling them, if you give up, if you die to yourself, then you will be a living sacrifice and you will find real life. Meaning, yes, is your life different after you sacrifice it? Absolutely. In fact, but it'll be better. Right, because, and again, Jesus shows us the other side of the coin. He's like, if you hold on to your life, you will actually end up losing it. Right? And Paul here in Romans is just reiterating this core teaching of Jesus. Right? Of what it truly means to be a living sacrifice. Right? Meaning, I give up myself. Right? I stop living for myself and start living for God. Right? And it's not about me at all. Right? Because I can't be holy by myself. Christ has to do that for me. And so now life's not, it's not about me at all. It's about Christ because he's the one that makes the way. He's the one that makes me holy, right? And the more that I give up, the more that I find true life. The more that I do for God, the more that I love him back, the more like him I become. And that's how I find real life. That's how I'm set free. 
Right? And when we realize this, and it's exactly what Jesus meant, it's exactly what Paul means, is that this idea of worship is all-encompassing. It is about every moment of your life becomes an opportunity to worship. Every time I breathe, my next breath is an opportunity to worship God. It isn't just about singing songs or coming to church or giving money or going on a mission trip or reading my Bible or sharing the gospel with a friend or praying for people or cutting grass or going to work or cooking dinner. It's all of those things and everything else that I could possibly do in my life can be an act of worship. It's loving God back. It's giving up everything that I have within myself so that he gets glorified. Literally everything I do can be an act of worship if it is done to glorify God and to love him back. Right? If that is the, the motivation, then it can be an act of worship. And that's the same concept. is exactly what John the Baptist was talking about when he talked to his disciples. Right? When they came to him and Jesus is just starting, right? he baptized Jesus. Jesus is starting to gain popularity. And, and even some of John's disciples start moving over to Jesus. Right? And they come to John and they're like, doesn't this offend you? Doesn't this make you upset? The fact that like, you're, the spotlight's fading on you and it's switching over to this guy, Jesus? And then John's response, okay, John the Baptist in John 3, 3, verse 30 says, he must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. And John the Baptist defines worship the same way that Paul defines it, and the same way that Jesus defines it, is that I am just loving God back, because he loves me first. Right? And, and, and as we see this concept that even the John the Baptist teaches and Paul teaches and the reiterate what Jesus teaches and we see all of these things that leads us in then to the next question that he answers in verse 2. We understand what is worship and worship can be anything as long as I'm giving God the glory and loving God back. Right? Then the next thing, the next common question that he answers in verse 2 is how do I know God's will for me? If I'm a follower of Jesus, how do I know what God wants me to do? Now, once again, God's will is another Christianese phrase that we use and we never really define. Okay, what does God's will mean? Well, very simply, God's will is literally just God's plan for my life. What is my purpose? What am I supposed to fulfill? Why am I still here on earth? Right, because we were all created by God on purpose and for a purpose. Again, even following our example of Christ, right? Christ was sent to earth on a mission, right? His purpose was to live us in this life, to die on a cross, rise again on the third day, and create a way of salvation for all of us, right? That was his mission. Now, our mission is not that, right? But we all have one. If we are a follower of Jesus, you have a mission that you're supposed to be on as well, and that is what God's will is in your life. What are you supposed to accomplish with the time you have on this earth? And we see, again, let's go back to Romans 12, 2. Once again, the structure, the, the, the question he's answering is at the end of the verse. At the beginning of the verse, he tells us the answer before he gives us the question. He might have been playing Jeopardy. I don't know. Okay, but we see here, verse 2, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. 
then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Again, how do I know God's will? Is I choose to do life in a different way. Again, I choose to be transformed. Again, Paul presents two different ways of doing life here in this first sentence of verse 2. Right? Option number one is to copy the behavior and customs of the world. That's option number one. Now again, he's saying, as a follower of Jesus, that's not what you're supposed to do. He says, don't do that. Right? Now, being a follower of Jesus, by definition, is supposed to be countercultural. You are supposed to be different than the world. Right? You are supposed to be different. Now, again, I, and I don't know if you do, but I've, I've known lots of different people in my life right, who say they are Christians, but they still live life in option number one. Right? They say, now, again, may, maybe, maybe that's been you. Maybe, no, it's probably never been you. Probably just somebody on your row. Right? But, but we, we all, we've known somebody. Right? And if we're honest with ourselves, it, it's been us, right? They say, I, I, yes, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I still copy the behavior and the customs of, those, of this world. And yet, as we realize that, right, that, that, again, Paul's telling us, a daily walk with Christ is supposed to be different than the world. Okay, because the truth is, if you do what everyone else does, you will get what everyone else gets which means you'll be normal, right? But normal is not always a good thing, right? In fact, when we look at the pattern and the behavior and the customs of our world, you do not want to be normal, right? And following Jesus naturally says that you will be set apart. You will be different because the world is not holy. Right? The world is not a living sacrifice. And if you do what everyone else does, you will get what everyone else gets. Or, Paul tells us, but, so don't do that, but live in option number two. Okay, what's option number two of how we do life? It's to let God transform you into a new person. Right? We can either do, you know, follow the world, get what the world gets, or we can be transformed by God. Okay, and that is a choice that we make every day as a follower of Jesus. Right, we wake up in the morning and say, which one am I going to do today? Am I going to follow the customs of the world or am I going to be transformed by God? Okay, as we make that choice, right, we, we say then God will truly transform you into a new person. How does God do that? Underline the phrase in that verse by changing the way you think. That's how God transforms you. Okay, and when we, when we look at this concept that Paul presents, okay, we learn a couple things about tra transformation. If we go down that road, if we let God transform us as a follower of Jesus, right, what does that look like? We learn a couple things. Number one is transformation starts with your mind, and it will eventually affect your actions. Now, so many times we try to do this one the other way. Okay, especially when we, we receive Christ, you find him as your savior, right? And we're excited about who God is and about living this Christian life. And so we try to change all of our behaviors ourselves. 
right? And we don't let God transform us at all. We just try to do it on our own effort and say, okay, I'm going to live this life because that's the way that the pastor tells me I should live. And so that's what I'm going to do, right? And we try to change our actions instantly. And shocker, it doesn't work, right? We get frustrated, we give up, and we think this whole Christian thing just isn't real. Right? No, but no, we are entering into a transformation process. A transformation that starts in your mind and will eventually work its way out into your actions. Right? It starts in your mind. Again, how, how is your mind transformed? Your mind gets transformed by becoming more like Christ. By being more holy tomorrow than I am today. By, be, by following Christ's example. Right? By worshiping God. How does my mind get transformed? The more I worship, the more my mind gets transformed. He should just write, refer to verse one. Right, that's how my mind gets transformed. The more that I worship, the more holy I become. I'll be more like Christ tomorrow than I am today. Right, I take the next step forward in my journey. And the more I worship, the more I love God back, the more I do things to glorify him instead of myself, the more my outlook of the world will change. And therefore, so will my actions. It starts on the inside and it moves outward. And as we look at this, this phrase, says by changing the way you think, and then you will learn to know God's will. Circle that word, learn. Because that teaches us the next thing about transformation. And that is, that transformation is a lifelong journey. I don't instantly get transformed. Now, I get instantly saved when I receive Christ as my Savior. Right? But that's when I join the journey of faith and I start moving in a new direction, more closer and closer to Christ every day. Right? And transformation is a lifelong journey. It doesn't happen overnight. Right? It is a journey. And it is a lifelong one. If I am still here, if I am still breathing, then my earthly transformation journey is not complete. Right? My earthly transformation journey ends when I'm face-to-face -face with God in heaven. And then I start my heavenly journey with God. Right? But I, it is a lifelong journey. It doesn't matter whether you've been a Christian for five minutes or 50 years. Your journey is still going which means I still have to engage in that journey, right? Because I am not completely holy yet until I'm with God in his unhindered presence in heaven, right? That transformation continues. It is a lifelong journey. Again, he says, as you continue in this lifelong journey, he says, then you will know God's will for you. Okay, and the more he transforms your mind, the more you take the next step he's leading you to take, right? And realize that, that, I'm not going to know all the answers. I can't see the same picture that God sees, right? And yet, but I can trust God's will for me. Why? Because it is good and pleasing and perfect. Right? And we even saw in chapter 11 when he talked about, so we have answers that we, or we have questions we don't know the answers to. Right? And so many times with God's will for my life, I'm sitting there going, really, Lord, is that really what you want me to do? Because that doesn't make sense to me. And God's like, I know but it does to me, so trust me. I see something you can't see. And I can trust it because, as Paul tells us, because God's will is good, 
It's pleasing and it's perfect. I can trust God's will for me, even if I don't know all the answers, even if I can't see beyond the next step or two. I trust that God can, right? And I take that step anyways, as I continue to move forward in my journey. And then we get to verse three, where he answers this final question in these three verses, right? And that is, how do I stay on the right path? How do I stay on the right path? Because again, oftentimes part of our journey is we, we tend to drift, right? Especially as we, we, we're doing really good. We're focused on God. We're, we're holier tomorrow than I am today. And, and I start, and life starts, I get to experience real life. And then my ego starts to creep in. I start thinking about, man, look how good a job I'm doing following God, right? And it's easy to drift off of that path. Right, so how do I stay on the right path? As we see in verse 3, he tells us, gives us this warning of how do you stay on the right path. Right, he says, because the privilege authority God's given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you're better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. All right, what is the key to me staying on the right path? How I view myself. That's the key. Don't view yourself higher than you really are. Okay, again, how should I measure myself? He says to measure yourself by the faith God's given me. What is my faith in as a follower of Jesus? It's in Christ. It's not in myself at all. Right? If I, in fact, that's like the first commandment, right? Only worship God. Put your faith in Christ. Right? That's where my faith is. And therefore, that becomes the standard of what I compare myself to. And that's how I stay on the right path, right? Is I compare myself to Jesus, not other people. Because if I compare myself to other people, right? Again, just as we say, we look at the world and we're like, man, I'm doing really good compared to the world. Right? And then our own ego starts to bubble up inside of us and it, it, we drift off the right path. We have to compare ourselves to Jesus, not to ourselves. He is the destination of our journey. Because the problem is, if I compare myself to somebody else, I tend to slack off, right? And I just go through life doing, getting, doing what I can get away with, right? And then we, we go through life, and again, even the way of the world, right? We go back to that is, 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 I just compare myself to everybody else. I don't have to be as good as Jesus. I just have to be better than you. Right? I don't have to outrun the bear. I just have to outrun, be faster than you. And yet we go through life that way and wonder why we're not being transformed. Well, we're not being transformed because we're comparing ourselves to the wrong thing. We have to keep our eyes focused on Jesus. He is the destination of our journey. Again, I need to be more holy tomorrow than I am today. I need to worship him more so I can be more holy. Again, refer back to verse 1. And as we realize this and we see these answers that Paul gives us to these different foundational truths of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, he now moves on and starts to address some very specific parts of our life as a follower of Jesus. And that's what he does now for, then for the rest of the letter. Okay, this is the foundation, and now he goes on through the rest of 12 and into 13 and all the way to 16 as he addresses these different areas of life. Hey, well, the, the first area of life that he addresses in the rest of chapter 12 is church life. Okay, how do I 
live as a part of a church, as a follower of Jesus. Hey, so we're going to pick up then um, as he turns this, this, this corner into church life, as he gives some specific advice for individual people, okay, in verses 4 through 8. So Romans chapter 12, starting at verse 4. He says, Just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophecy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. He gives us these specific advice to each individual, right? As saying, as a member of the body of Christ, do what God made you to do. Okay, and the, the first part of advice is to be a member of the body of Christ. Be a part of God's body. Now again, this word member is another word that we use in lots of different contexts in our world that means drastically different things. Okay, what he describes here in this analogy is being the member, a member of Christ's body, meaning you are a part of the body. Christ is the head of the church. We are all the body. Okay, we are a part, a member of a body, like an organ is in the human body. Now, another really most common way we use the word membership is like being a member to a country club. That is not what he is describing here. Because being a member of a country club is when I means I pay my dues and I get the thing the way things the way I want it, and they're there to serve me. But being a member of a body, right, means that my role is important. Right? That I'm not the same as everybody else. And if I'm a part of a body, I'm a part of the part of the, the a functioning body means that if one part suffers, everybody knows it and everybody suffers with it. If one part of one member of that body is victorious, the rest of the body benefits, right? And being a member of a body is very different than being a member of a country club, right? And when we look at, again, the way that Paul is describing church life, he's telling us, no, you are an integral part of the body of Christ. You need to be there and you need to do what God made you to do. Right? And the other thing that we realize about the body of Christ in this is that, um, sorry, four and five, just as our bodies have many parts, each part is a special function. And so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body. We all belong to each other. We're all connected in the life of the church. Okay, and then the, uh, this, the second thing we learn about the body of Christ from these verses is that we need to use our spiritual gift and do it well. Right, he's saying, he goes individually. He's like, we're all, we're all not the same. Right, and that's a good thing, by the way. Hey, we're not all the same. You all have different gifts. You're, uh, different believers have different things that you can do well. And the important thing is to use your spiritual gift and do it well. Do it all the way so that the entire body benefits. And then we move into the, the last verses of chapter 12. Verses 9 through 21, where he gives general advice for 
all of the church. No matter what your spiritual gift is, this is general advice for everyone. If you are a believer, this applies to you. Okay, picking up at verse 9. It says, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Again, this is general advice to every believer as a part of church life. And when we see and we read this, I don't know how you feel about that, but I look at that and I'm like, wow, that's a big list. Those are not easy things to do. Right? In fact, we start with the, with the very first verse, right? Where he says, again, don't just pretend to love others, but really love them. That's not an easy thing to do. Right? But it does teach us, though, exactly the concept he wants us to understand in this section. And that is being a good member is as much about your attitude as it is about your actions. Being a good member of a church, being a part of God's body is more about your attitude than it is about your actions. Right? Again, and we see that in, in this, the very first verse of this section, right? Don't just pretend to love others, but really love them. Because the truth is, is you can pretend to love somebody and really love them and your actions might look exactly the same. But your motivation is very, very different. And your attitude is very, very different. Now notice he's focused again on your attitude, not so much your actions as being a, a productive member of Christ's body. And again, if you've been in the church for more than five minutes, it doesn't matter whether it's Oregon Trail or any church that you've been a part of for more than five minutes, you understand why his main advice is don't get mad, don't get offended, give people grace, really love each other, like just work through different things, like don't take revenge. Like, I, do you see the themes of these things? Again, if you've been in church for more than five minutes, you know why he goes there. There is no perfect church, right? And yet when we realize that is then when we see why he concludes with a verse that he concludes with, which is our final thought for today. And that is Romans 12, 21. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. And we realize, especially when you think about the life of the church, the church is not immune from evil. And also, 
we need to realize that evil also does not want you to be transformed. Right? Evil doesn't want you to be set apart, to become a holy and a living sacrifice. Right? Which means that as the body of Christ, as the church, we have to rise above the evil that is the way of the world and let God's power unleashed in our lives and unleashed in our church and unleashed in our world. And it all goes back to verse number one. Maybe we should just title this message, refer to verse one, right? As we say that, again, I just encourage you, respond to the truth that God's shown us here today. Right, one, none of this is possible if you've not received Christ as your savior. Right, and that's not at all what Paul's presenting. He's saying this is, none of this is possible until you're saved. And once you are saved, then worship God with everything you have. In every moment you breathe, be transformed. Right, and stay your focus on him, not on yourself. Right, and then engage yourself in a church. Be a part of God's body. So this morning, as we conclude our service, I just want to challenge you to say, if you've never received Christ as your savior, then don't try to do any of this on your own because you're going to fail. This is only possible because of Christ. Receive him as your savior. If you've never done that, I hope you do that today. If you have received Christ as your savior, then say, what's the next step in my journey to live this out? How can I worship God better? How can I continue my transformation? Right? How can I say focus on Christ and not on myself? Right? How can I be a better member of God's church? So as we conclude our service today, I just encourage you to respond to whatever God's calling you to respond to. God, that's our prayer today, Lord. As we lift our hands, God, we are holding our life in our hands, God, and lifting it up to you. God, and that includes all of our unanswered questions, God, of our doubts, of our worries, and God, we lift them to you. Lord, we surrender them to you today in worship. Lord, we offer our bodies as a living and a holy sacrifice to you. And God, I pray that as we go this week, Lord, that every moment of our life will be worship. God, that we will show this world that there is something different about following you. And God, that by giving up everything we have and lifting it to you, God, that you take it and you make it into something real. And God, that we can continue to be transformed. And God, I pray that as we go this week, God, help us, give us the courage, God, to take a step closer to you every day. God, that we can be more like you tomorrow than we are today as we continue to engage in our faith journey. And God, that by doing this, we'll show the world what it means to be loved by you and to love you back. Lord, guide us as we go this week. Receive our worship every moment that we're breathing. Guide us as we go. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.